Yeah, I kept on trying to butt in and like, and then nobody let me talk. And I was like, why are they being so mean? We tell you it wasn't personal, but that would be a lie. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, they'll be paid for most of them. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 89 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Coming at you from the present. James yep. and Dance. Hey, friends. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Adam Baldwin. Hey. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself since you're new to the show? Sure. Uh, I'm Adam Baldwin. I'm uh, team lead at Lyft Security, uh, and I'm the uh, founder and organizer of the Node Security Project. Awesome. So is Node a not secure system? Uh, it's... <laughs> Oh, jeez, uh, starting off with the hammers. the hard one, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's got its problems just like every other platform, right? Um, it's a, It enables us to write software, and as uh, as humans, we tend to write perfect software, right? Of course. So, yes. <laughs> bug-free. mine, right? Yeah, bug-free. So I think that, uh, you know, that that answers that it, it's, it has all the same issues as every other web pl- platform out there, you know, or, uh, every other development environment. So how so, are people doing okay. it wrong then? So in Node we got we 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 have a lot of front end JavaScripters that are that are becoming back end developers right now. They're being sucked into Node, and I know JavaScript, so I'm now doing things on the server. Uh, and they're sort of in, they're confronting a whole new class of of vulnerability uh, that they've never had to deal with on the front end. Those are the things that I'm seeing from you know JavaScripters that are used to the front end. Do you think you could maybe talk about what the Node Security Project is a little bit, just to give us an intro first? Sure. Uh, the Node Security Project is a community effort that I sort of started to well, basically... Well, for the fame and the money what? and the power. Right. First. Right. I had to, yeah. Why else do fame, people do open source? <laughs> fame and money. Uh, yeah, no, it's basically to evangelize security. I mean, that's all I talk about is security, security, security. And I wanted to, uh, was, was getting more into the node community. Uh, at Andiet, we had start, started building a, a, a product and basically I had to figure out what all the, you know, the security issues were with, with node in the community. And so as I got more involved, I, I sort of noticed the, the need to evangelize security. So we started this project to, to evangelize security and sort of, uh, you know, help the community out there, but we also started it to, to audit the modules being published to npm so that we can sort of uh you know fix things as we find them uh raise awareness around those type of things so is your background in security or in node yeah my background is sort of all of the above uh i've done development i've done systems administration i've done network ops and i've done a lot of uh security work so uh, oh, cool. i sort of have a multi multi hat and i sit Kind of firmly straddled between the development world and the the security world, uh, two worlds that don't tend to play nice together. Sure. How did you end up with such a varied background? Just sort of, I didn't come at it from a traditional, uh, you know, I didn't get to go to my career path in a traditional way. I sort of got uh, in trouble when I was fifteen for uh, breaking into uh, the admin side of a, a bulletin board system in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. And from there, I was given a job opportunity, and, and it sort of led me down the trail of uh, internet service providers doing network ops and system administration and things like that. And I uh, eventually got sick of that. I uh, ended up at Symantec, and then I, uh, I left there to start my own uh, firm, Ingenuity, and then eventually landed at uh, Lyft here. So. so part of what the Node Security Project is about, you said, is to audit all of the modules on NPM. Yep. That seems like a... <laughs> A Sisyphean effort, right? You push the boulder up the hill and it rolls back down. Cause there are, it's just so much easier to write a module than it is to audit it for security yep. problems. How are you trying to do that? Are you concentrating on popularity first or? So yeah, I've been asked this question a lot and it's sort of an effort to boil the ocean, right? It's, it's the, yeah, when yeah. you look at it and you say, when I say audit all the modules on NPM, people immediately go to, 
look for all the things in all the things. And that's not possible. We can't sustain that growth, right? There's 50,000 modules on NPM. It's just impossible to keep up. What we can do, though, and after a lot of debate, we can take one approach, which is look for one pattern in all of the modules, and we can automate that. So we can say, let's do a manual analysis, and then we can automate finding that pattern, creating tickets, and letting humans sort out the false positives. So we can keep up that way, and we can sort of ratchet up the baseline of the of the community, right? We can say, we want to eliminate remote code execution via childprocess.exec, and we can get rid of that from the module base by catching it when modules are published uh, and sort of evangelizing those efforts. The other thing we're going to, we can do is focus on those, uh, heavily on those popular modules. Um, we haven't, uh, actually, uh, gone about it that way. We've been sort of just focused on our honor toolkit and stuff, but, uh, we haven't done an audit of like say the top hundred, but that's, uh, that's in the sort of the docket to do. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So it's, it's more like a, it's kind of a call to action, like leading by example type of thing. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And it's basically just call out things and, you know, evangelize where we can and send pull requests where we can. And, you know, worst case, even if we fail miserably, we fix some vulnerabilities and, and, you know, got some people to be more aware of certain security issues. So are you involved in security issues with Node itself or are you mostly focusing on user land stuff? I'm mostly focused on user land stuff, although I've talked to, you know, many people on the core team uh, about security issues. And, um, you know, I know that they're interested in shoring up sort of their, uh, you know, procedures and things like that. Uh, I don't get really involved in core other than uh, as a distribution channel for, hey, we've we've got this vulnerability and I'll probably, you know, write a blog post on it or tweet about it and get people to understand, okay, we've got this release. You really need to, to update those kind of things, sure. which we're working on. <laughs> Yeah, so there are a couple. Uh, Rails is the one I'm thinking of the most. Uh, it's a framework that has a very well-defined security policy, and it's a little bit of an apples to oranges thing because you're looking at yeah. the entire ecosystem for a whole platform as opposed to one framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have any kind of like vulnerability disclosure thing where you expect people to email you privately, or are you all about public disclosure? So, how do you think? How do you think bugs should be disclosed? Okay, so yeah, you're definitely right that we've got sort of an apples to oranges comparison in in terms of you know Rails is a collection of opinions and has more surface area, right? Yeah. So the reason I mentioned Rails is because it's the security policy I'm the most familiar with. Yeah, and we have we have sort of a a big problem. So let me talk about Core first. Core has a defined. It has a a place where you can mail, you know, email uh, if you've got security bugs. You know, they don't want them publicly put in there, right? Public uh, disclosure issues, which is good. They have that baseline, but that hasn't been very well evangelized. And I don't think they've called it out enough. At least the last time I checked at NoConf EU, the, the policy wasn't up on, you know, the main node site and the process is a little bit convoluted to find. And we don't know what uh, the timelines are for disclosure and, and resolve and things like that. And there's no expectation of communication and things like that. That isn't established yet. And we need to improve that. The thing is, is that the core team is aware of that and I think is willing to improve on that. Now, when it comes to the third party modules, we have a, we have a giant problem. Uh, with Rails, you've got, you know, you've got all these things in one spot. You've got a place where you can email. It's a central source to talk about anything that's involved in sort of that community. With third party modules, if, you know, there's, there's no cohesive place to send those. So what we've kind of been doing is have been a clearinghouse for that if uh, as sort of like notify the project and CC us and we'll help deal with that through if we can. You know, we can probably do a better job of evangelizing that and publicizing that as well. But that's that's sort of the status of things right now, which is I don't think not as good as uh, some other communities and we can do better at that. It's super exciting, though, because it means there's lots of work to be done, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily glamorous work, but it's it's certainly important work to to do for uh, the Node ecosystem. So, if someone wanted to get involved with it, what would they do? Especially if they're not someone with the are, are you looking for people that have specific security backgrounds, or what could the average Node user do? 
So the average node user right now, the way that could help is uh, we're currently building some of our tool sets. So as I said, I'm kind of planted in between development and security. I'm more security minded and meaning that I develop really slowly. So I need help in building some of the tools, the API to store the data and deal with the data that we're pulling off of NPM as things are published. And so I need to help building some of those those tools. That's that's where somebody could get started. And that's just on github.com slash node security. All of the repos are up there. I have not done a good enough job sort of architecting and detailing out what needs to be done. But uh, the API repo is where we're, we're currently actively working in, and we can certainly guide somebody there to help out that's, a, that's good at building web APIs. Now, that said, that's where a developer can step in. The goal, however, is to have anybody of a development background be able to step in and actually audit a particular issue, meaning, uh, so the workflow would work something like this. You log into the portal, you press button, receive work. So you press a button, you get a, a particular issue that we've identified as a hotspot. So something that's potentially vulnerable, but we're not sure. The person would then have a, a description that would describe what it's, what the vulnerability is, an example of vulnerable code, sort of teaching them about that particular issue. So it's like a node school type lesson, nodeschool.io. And it's sort of a lesson like that, just not as interactive. And then they'd be presented with the details that we found as the hotspot. And so they'd be able to basically mark that as vulnerable or not vulnerable, and then it would be under review after that. So the intention is to have developers be able to do this, learn something from it, as well as contribute to the community. That's pretty sweet. While you're talking about the place for a web developer to work on the API, I was just thinking you better be really sure you write secure code because otherwise you're going to get made fun of on, on the Twitters. Uh, you put some security bugs in the node security project API. Yeah, but guess what? <laughs> you know, we're, we're humble. We know that software, you know, people make mistakes and, and security is not about not having vulnerabilities. It's about process, right? It's about, you know, assessing, measuring, iterating, doing better and learning from that. Like it's not possible to, to be, you know, 100% secure. It just doesn't happen. So, so what is a good security process then? So uh, the EmberJS project, I think, has a good disclosure process. I don't know what their uh, – it's emberjs.com slash security. And I think they've got a decent, like, communication and sort of hybrid based on sort of a bunch of different, uh, you know, historical documents, um, you know, some of, some of the old, you know, responsible disclosure policies and things like that. They've kind of mixed together that talks about here's where you should report it. Here's the communication expectation that you should have and those kind of things. And I think that that's a, that's a good model for an open source project to sort of follow. Um, you know, certainly the, I, I'm not super familiar with the Rails actual disclosure process. I should probably read that and be familiar with that, but I'm, I don't have it, you know, memorized, but, uh, the yeah, Ember is the one I've been using for to sort of point projects to, uh, as I feel it's just, it's kind of a, Seems to be a good effort. So there were a couple security issues recently that I'm sort of familiar with. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about how they were handled and what would, if there's anything that could have been improved in the way they were handled. Because I don't know all the grimy details and stuff. I don't mean to like spill the dirt, but you know, just how to improve things. Sure. One of them was the recent Node 10.21 release. It had a, a some kind of HTTP right? vulnerability fix. Yeah. And they kind of didn't really say what it was. They just said, like, hey, you should really update, and someday we'll tell you what it fixed. Yes. And the other one, I think a couple months ago, wasn't there a Connect vulnerability? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the details on those. So do you want to talk about those and talk about how, yeah. what good ways, you kind of use them as examples to talk about sure. ways so to handle node security? The, the Node Core one, I think could have been handled better. So, so what it was is there's, there's a denial service vulnerability in what, uh, 0, 10, 20, I think 21. 21 was uh, the fix. No, 21 was, uh, this release contains security fix. Yeah. So 20 or 21 contains a fix. And what happened was basically there was a security announcement and it didn't have as much detail as basically it should have. Uh, it should have been, hey, here's, I, I feel it should have been, hey, here's our release. Here's the details about the vulnerability. You know, go patch. The thing is, is what happened was, is that the tests were there to reproduce the condition and the details in the notes were not. 
So immediately everyone says, well, the tests are there. I've got basically full disclosure right here. And I, I believe a Metasploit module was created for it pretty, pretty quickly. And it was, I think it should have just been, you know, well-timed. We've got all our details. An announcement goes out to the security mailing list. You know, the release goes out and then you sort of people, people, it's, it's an arms race at that point, but you have the security announcement uh, list for a reason, right? There's a place where we can subscribe to to get get knowledge about those. Uh, an announcement could have gone out on that at the same time, giving all of the, you know, giving the details that 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 talk about the impact of the vulnerability. They don't have to talk about how to exploit it. So that's an important piece too, is you want those releases to not create more vulnerability, but just give enough details that a business can make a, a decision about uh, urgency in upgrading. So you don't think that they should include the steps to reproduce the vulnerability? Um, not in the initial release to reproduce it, but I think that that should be, you know, disclosed afterwards. That's just my opinion. People are going to reverse engineer that out of the code anyway. So it's kind of a, you know, six to one, half dozen the other. Sure. So that was, that was the node core thing. I think that that was kind of a lesson. You know, there's a lot of heated sort of conversation on Twitter, if you can call it a conversation. Um, <laughs> I don't think you can, but about, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of like, yelling. Yeah, about like you should have done this better and whatever. And, you know, I think that I think Accord does a good job of sort of filtering out the, you know, BS there and, and taking the, the the proper criticism to heart and in working on future releases. Right. And I think that I think we don't have to re- re- reinvent the wheel. We've you know, you got open source projects that have release processes that do this all the time and do it well. And we should just adopt that model and just continue with it. So there's that. Sure. One thing that I'm curious about, and this this may be a little outside of this since you're kind of focused around the libraries that are there, but uh, I wonder a little bit about, let's say that I have an application that has a security vulnerability that Mm -hmm. I discover. What process should I have around that for, you know, disclosing and letting my users know and whatever? I'm of the opinion, like if, if it's your product, your application, I'm of the opinion transparency is best. And especially with, with breaches or vulnerabilities, different people have different opinions on this. I, I vote for transparency and talking about, hey, we've, we've updated things where we discovered a security vulnerability. We did the research. It was never exploited. Um, if you can't determine that, that this particular issue was never exploited on your servers, you've got bigger problems in your operational procedures that you need to be able to ask those questions and, and understand how to, how to tell if that was exploited or not. But I, I don't think it, I think transparency is the way to go there. Write a blog post, notify your users, but that's just me. I think that it wins over trust versus having a problem, getting exploited, not understanding that situation, then getting called out on it afterwards, basically getting busted for sort of keeping something a secret. I don't know. It's happened and it usually gets uglier than just being straight up. If it's I, such a delicate issue. It's, yeah. Because I feel like I can understand arguments from people that want to keep them very secret but at the same time it's kind of risky like if people find out they can feel betrayed i feel like yeah that's how i felt as a consumer when all the sony stuff came out where it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and i was like yeah oh, man like these guys are jokes I, and the, the hard so part is, is is having a vulnerability is not a bad thing and I mean, sure, sure, in some sense it is, but not learning from that mistake. That's the work. That's, that's the sin that's worth paying attention to. And if, if you continue to have repeated offenses to a similar thing, that's more impacting to me as somebody who's using your service or your product, uh, your software than, um, just having a single vulnerability, I think. Do you think that, um, security announcements should talk about how, this came to be like should they talk about systematic things like that or should they just talk about the bug itself i'm not quite like, sure no, the, so in the node core example you mentioned a better thing to do might have been to disclose the effect of the vulnerability so people could decide whether how important mm. it was to, to spend their time upgrading should they yeah. do like a post-mortem in that same place or i, I don't know i don't necessarily think in the same place but i think that using those Bugs are learning opportunities, right? And security bug is the same type of situation, just handled with a little bit sort of different delicacy. You know, I think that that a postmortem should be done on process. Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily be public unless there is some kind of 
you know, large mistake, right? It can be done via mailing list. It can be done via the core team talking to one another. But I think a postmortem should be done if, if there is a large consensus that, yes, that was completely, you know, effed up. You know, community, if there's community backlash on it, it definitely should be talked about. It should be transparent and something should be done to either, you know, fix it or whatever. Sure. That makes sense. That's just my thoughts. So what kinds of things are you looking for generally when you audit or evaluate an NPM module? So we started with, uh, like I had mentioned, uh, childprocess.exec. We were looking for untrusted user input put into childprocess.exec, which creates cell, uh, shell execution, right? That was the first one we looked for. And uh, we found a surprising number of those, right? And, uh, uh, you know, now we've sort of moved on to um, things like uh, regular expressions that are denial serviceable, cross-site scripting, so, uh, you know, unsanitized variables and uh, EJS templates or Jade templates, things like that. Um, what What do you mean regular expression that's deny Service serviceable. Yes. Uh, so it's a type of attack called redos, and I'm absolutely horrible at explaining it. It's where you basically have, I believe, the best way to describe it is when you have um, you have a uh, a large number of of uh, of back, they call it back references, and uh, I can post a, a link, but. Uh, you, don't Probably. you basically make it go into like a pathological case where it just spends forever processing the regex? Right. That's it's basically the, the case where you've got like a whole bunch of. Uh, and there's a specific situation. Um, I can't remember the right wording, but uh, yeah, I could. There's probably a, a site. Oh yeah, OWASP link is probably better at explaining what it is. We can post that up there for the for the listeners here. But it, you end up getting it stuck in a non-optimal pattern um, and it sort of just takes, you know, super long time to resolve, right? And, it, and it'll, it'll eventually get there, but you use a lot of resources for basically one request, right? So things like route, I have like a, a route handler that's, you know, you use regular expressions um, to, to set up for route matching or something. You do a you do a poor job of writing one of those and, and you might be able to, with a single get request, consume a lot of server load. So that's that's one example. That's really interesting. I knew about that that regexes could do that, but I guess I just never thought about using it to attack a server. And I mean, parsing strings is like the core of what lots of server stuff does, right? To route URLs to functions and stuff. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it, usually it has to do with like, um, you know, a lot of modules usually usually just say, "Hey, just give me a regex here, and I'll do a thing." And so oftentimes sure. we can't. Oftentimes we have a problem with that because like, oh well. It's how you use it, so well, we can't really do anything about that because we don't see the private applications that are being that are using this building block. So um, it's kind of frustrating. But so the basis of it is if you have a repeating group, that's where you can become vulnerable to this, right? So if you oh. don't have a group that has a repeater on it, then you probably don't have vulnerability to this? Is that accurate? That is accurate from what I know. And there is a, a Substack has a module called Safe Regex. It's not perfect, but it will, uh, if you put a regex into it, it will, it'll spit out basically if you've got, uh, if it thinks you've got, um, if it's safe or not. So, so that's something like JS Lint could probably look for too, right? Correct. I've got a an ES lint, uh, ECMAScript lint module or plugin that does that does that. I tried to patch JS hint and I got lost, <laughs> so I didn't do that. Are there common kinds of errors that you see at the app level, not at the module level? Or are you not really focused on yeah, well, those kinds of things? Yeah, so those are the things I do during my day job, right at uh, oh, okay. at Lyft. Like oh, so you're, you're an expert on yes. these things. Well, that's basically what I do is we do penetration testing, right? So the the common things are like the OWASP top 10, right? You link to OWASP. Those are the common things for a reason. Those are the things we see not just in node land, but in, you know, Rails and PHP and Python, Django, whatever. We see those mistakes being made, and those are the most common things out there. Cross-site scripting, cross-site request forgery, uh, SQL injection, which is becoming less common in a lot of applications, um, because they're not using SQL anymore, they're using you know 
Mongo or some other, you know, key value store or whatever. They've got their own injection problems. Uh, they're just different. I'm I'm a little curious though. I mean, with uh, PHP and Django and Rails and a lot of these others. I mean, we're talking about web languages and web frameworks here, but um, do you sure. find that their maturity lends them to or leads them to be maybe a little bit ahead of Node in some of these areas, or is Node mature enough now to have solved most of these problems as well? I sort of go against the grain in the Node community that when I say that uh, I don't think frameworks are bad. Um, there's a there's a, a a common thread in Node where you know small modules you know do individual independent things and I think that's good and then we stay away from frameworks but frameworks itself you, know, you take a bunch of those modules you put them together you make these opinionated decisions for uh, the end user so I think that and then those mature over time right with good security decisions. So I think that, you know, Django and Rails, I, I think those are those are good things. I think that those those it's not necessarily making them more mature than Node, but if you compare, say, Rails to Express, uh, or, you know, Rails to sales.js or whatever, they've been around longer. And, and so hopefully these frameworks in Node can learn from Django and Python and, or Django and Rails and some of those. But, you know, we're seeing the same type of issues crop up and, you know, that makes sense. That does make sense. I feel like it is a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison. If you're talking about Node to Django, that's, I mean, yeah, you could talk about Node to Python maybe. Like you write code for Node, you write code for Python. Node isn't exactly. really a, a web framework. Right. So, I mean, there were still some vulnerabilities in, uh, there was a Ruby one a while ago. There's the Node one we talked about. So the core language can still have problems, but that's the interesting thing is that the core, there was a vulnerability in core that uh, response splitting, you know, where you could get headers from a preview, from the request or whatever uh, output into the body. And that was in a core lib, but it's not really in the, I mean, it was, it wasn't node because it wasn't the core, but the, you know, the core HTTP module could just as easily be, just as easily be broken out in the user land. So it's, it's, you know, JavaScript is still the core language and node. It's just kind of, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting, yeah, apples to oranges sort of comparison. Like you have to sort of deal with. You could argue that since the effort in Node is seems to be more focused on people rolling their own things, there's less, there's less uh, wood behind more arrows type of thing. I guess you could argue that that might lead to more vulnerabilities in the specific frameworks. Um, I think rolling your own is typically, and that's and that's the other. And you'd kind of mentioned that earlier. And I, I, I think that that's another plus for frameworks is that, uh, like not everyone's the right person to write, you know, an auth framework for their app or a cross site request forgery token generator and dealing with all that. Those things have been written and done and, and why not use one that somebody else has written? Uh, you know, the problem that you have is that you're going to go to NPM and you're going to pick a module off the registry that, you know, maybe somebody else wrote that was also not the right person to write the thing. So, yeah. So that becomes a question of curation where sure. like does the number of stars on GitHub and the number of downloads per day mean that it is a good module or does it mean that it was marketed well, you know? It was it means it was marketed well. Yeah. I don't think stars have shit to deal with when it comes to code quality. <laughs> uh yeah, it So what what do you think about some sort of effort of like curating modules like for example you take some really popular modules that everybody uses kind of manually lint them for security errors and pull them into like npms or you know something like right. that so that was an interesting discussion i had early on with some of the known uh, no core people uh was that uh you know, sort of anarchy in the in Nodeland is is good in terms of you know best module wins. Um, but I think that you know we can we can land as the Node Security Project some metadata to that decision. The thing is, is I'd I'd rather see that solved. You know, I don't want to maintain a, a sort of moderated list of, of modules to use because. It's so subjective for the, the use case that you're going to use them, I guess. And I'd rather see, you know, somebody else, because a maintainer falls off and stops maintaining something. Well, then another module is going to come in and take its place. And it's just, it's just a giant bear to wait 
you know, weight to bear for uh, curating those things. Uh, I think community pretty much sorts it out, but I, I, it is a, it is a problem and I don't, I, I don't know if there's, is actually a solution. So that, that kind of leads me to another question because you, uh, you find a security issue in a library and you send sure. pull requests and you, you know, you do some disclosure and things so people know about it. What do you do if you can't get the maintainer to actually fix it? So, for example, they have disappeared or they're busy or, you know, they just kind of abandoned the project or whatever. Or they hate you. So, or they, yeah, they well, hate you. I've been or they're the NSA and they, they want it to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah, there are people that do not like the Node Security Project, and I will not call them out by name, uh, but they are uh, very, very prominent in the Node community. What are their um, objections to it? And the note, they say that it actually creates more vulnerability by doing disclosures and, and things like that. Um, Isn't that kind of the age-old battle in security? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. And so basically, I'm not, I, we're just, we, so to answer that is we do not release an advisory about a module without a patch. So if we can't, we haven't run into that situation yet, but it, uh, let's say it was a something extremely serious in a, in a popular framework, right? Let's say it's a popular web framework. We found something very serious and the maintainer just basically gave us a finger and said, no, I'm not going to fix it. Let's say, you know, we could remotely execute code on a server or something. If it was very serious, I feel that it would get enough publicity to force the issue in the community to, to make a decision to either force push on their project, which would be a political nightmare. But I think that that, that would be a, a situation that may occur. The other thing is, is if we release an advisory, we'd at least have a patch attached to it and people could apply that themselves. We wouldn't release without basically a pull request diff of some kind at that point. Are you so. concerned at all that that'll get you into the area of having to maintain the patch? Um, yes, that is an issue, but yeah, we haven't had to deal with that yet. <laughs> so I'm just sort of like stretching for, you know, making things up because we just have, we haven't had to deal with that yet. Mm-hmm. So I haven't put a whole lot of thought into it. Interesting. Hopefully we don't. Hopefully we don't. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I think that we're going to eventually. Here. Well, I think we're all hoping that for your sake. So, <laughs> so yeah. Does it concern you at all that you'll make a disclosure, people will use the unpatched version, and then get exploited because of what you're putting out there? I mean, uh, I I come down more on the side of make the disclosure and hopefully it gets fixed. But I am curious about the other side of things. Well. So the the point is is that we want to offer low friction for package maintainers. So the, the goal is to provide disclosure to the package maintainer. If we can provide a, a pull request or you know a patch for them, they can implement it. And at that point, if we do a disclosure with patch and they haven't accepted it yet, I feel that the community will sort that out in terms of um, rolling that in. If we're you know. If there is enough vulnerability behind it, I think that there'll be enough pressure to, to, you know, the, the community will adopt said version with patch, and then you know it'll it'll take over from there. I don't know. It's a tough call. I, I'm sure other communities had to deal with it. I, I haven't really looked and researched into how that's been dealt with in say Ruby Gems or anything like that. You could also use this to squash your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, good thing Joe's not the the head of the Node Security Project or the NSA. <laughs> well, yeah, because the guy in charge of the NSA would never do that. Never. Ever. Lots, I of trust integrity. Him. Lots of integrity. He, he looks great. I I think he'll do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> Full confidence. When did we yeah. become so political? I don't know. Two minutes ago, edited it out. <laughs> so what about like? Utilizing all this for education uh, for developers and stuff like that. I mean, we, you talked a little bit about that before, but is there sure. some idea of really consolidating this into educating people, getting good education? Because I'll be honest, I think that by and large, a lot of the mistakes that are made now are the same mistakes that were made 10 years ago. Yep. And we aren't learning a damn thing. <laughs> and half of it's mistakes and half of it's we're just not learning. We're like, ooh, look at this green field over here. It's Node. <laughs> tromp, tromp, tromp. Let's write, let's write all of the things like, and not bother to look back. Like, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yes, education is a huge component of this, and it's, it's part of where I wasn't thinking initially. I was just thinking initially 
let's audit things, let's disclose them, let's fix them, write a blog post, and education will come from there. Well, we're making education a piece of the sort of audit process now, but we hope to consolidate, because uh, like the Rails has what, Rails Security Guide, which has some, mm-hmm. you know, some, bit, some, some stuff around what you should do, and hopefully we can take some of the knowledge from other communities and, and stick them in sort of a node-specific, hey, you're in JavaScript land, here's some examples for you, rather than when you go up, when you say go to the OWASP top 10, you're getting examples about PHP and Java and nobody gives a crap. So we need examples that are relevant. So, yeah, I agree. So the other question I have then is, like with the Rails security guide, a lot of it is don't turn off the built-in security features. <laughs> yeah. So is, is, there, is there any of that with Node or maybe an NPM module or two that you can actually go in and say, Use this because it will actually turn on a bunch of stuff that you ought to be using. Yeah. So as an example, like uh, Express, you have to turn on cross-site request forgery protection. It's not a default. Shameless plug, there's a library called Helmet for Express that turns on a bunch of security headers. And you just get those for free then. But there's a lot of things too, like like Jade automatically escapes, uh, at least for HTML context, variables to, to help prevent against cross-site scripting. So that's that's a good thing. Don't don't turn that off, right? But you know when you do do that and uh, a template is rendered, there's no warning that gets crapped out that says, "Hey, you've got a unsanitized template variable bad you or something." Like there's no you know, secure by default is a, a big thing, and I think that we should be turning that on, and especially in the fr- in frameworks we're creating. I think the sales guys, uh, sales JS, uh, are doing uh, have that mentality, and I think that they're doing some cool stuff there. I think Express could. Uh, shore up and uh, some of that stuff. Happy framework from Walmart is awesome. Aaron Hammer that runs that team goes so far as to uh, even the examples that he tries to publish. He does things like proper bcrypt, crypting of passwords, and not just doing some you know shitty example. Like he really wants to to get uh, uh, people doing the right things, and so he's he's going taking it that far as documentation and things like that. I have to have good examples. That's awesome. And that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say anything good about Walmart. <laughs> Walmart Labs. Walmart Labs, uh, they're doing some awesome stuff, uh, Aaron and team. That's good. looks cool. Yeah. Cheap stuff. I like Walmart. So There, that's a good thing said about Walmart. We got to talk about your stickers. We can't talk about the Node Security Project without those sweet, sweet stickers. Oh, thanks. You, you those are amazing. Too. Thanks. Did you come up with the stickers like before you had the security project? Did the stickers lead to the security project? No. So actually, I made a Twitter account as one of like the first things, and I took the node logo, the green logo, and I stuck a lock on it, and that was the first iteration. And uh, then one of our designers, uh, Adam Brault here, saw it, and he's like, "Uh, let's make it blue, you know. So we made it blue, uh, and that's how it stuck. Um, it looks and good. And of course, it's I, I I like it. Uh, we decided not to put any you know words on it or anything like that. You know, it just people seem to really like it. So uh, thanks. You said before that's the cool. show that putting a lock on stuff makes it secure. So yeah, it's it's like a little know. lock in your like in your browser there. So if it's there, it's more secure. Or like so. those sites that just put an image tag with a lock in it. Like yeah, it's more secure, secure. than that's yeah. yeah. So nobody will message your laptop. You just stick one right on the front. It's it's locked down. <laughs> that's right. I need a lock sticker for my laptop. Yeah, exactly. So just to reiterate, the best ways to get involved are to jump into that API repo if you want to help develop stuff. API um, repo uh, is that the Twitter. is that the only place you're really looking for help right now, or? Uh, yeah, so once we get that sort of short up, which it's pretty far along, um, then we got to get the, the front end piece going, um, which we'll talk to the API, of course. And the David DM guys have been helping quite a bit on the API when they can because they want to consume it, uh, as well for, you know, say, here's your out of date modules. Also, these, these ones have known security issues, um, which will be a cool sort of side effect of the project. So yeah, they should jump, uh, you can jump on, uh, IRC. I'm not very responsive, but we got a couple other guys from the team that. Uh, What's the uh, IRC channel? Uh, it's on Freenode, and it's just uh, Pound Node Security. Oh, cool. How am I ever going to yeah. remember that? I don't know. <laughs> we make it difficult. 
Yeah, why don't you just call it what it is? Pound note security stickers. Oh, no, that's that doesn't. <laughs> so not yet. You, you've kind of talked about the point behind a lot of the stuff that node security is about. Um, wh- where do you see it going moving forward? Going forward, basically, I'll stop talking about it all the time and actually do more work on it. <laughs> which is, which is, I, I just been talking about talking about it nonstop. It seems, but uh, going forward, I'd like to see it get uh, get some integration into npm and just keep you know keep refining our process to you know keep trying to make the ecosystem better, uh, the community better, and push education and you know meet some of our ocean boiling goals. Awesome. All right. Well, if people want to learn more about this stuff or uh, get a hold of you, what are the best ways to do it? Uh, hit me up on Twitter, uh, Adam underscore Baldwin, or uh, Node Security on Twitter, um, or uh, hit us up uh, NodeSecurity.io. If you uh, just Google Adam Baldwin, that's you, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly. I, I was on Chuck and Firefly, and yeah. My most important question is: Do you like Firefly? You know, so I've, I've, I have a confession to make. Um, I had not actually seen it until this last year, <gasps> and uh, yeah, I get like the nerd, the nerd, the nerd gasp. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so I, I was perfectly content not having watched it, and then I watched it, and then I'm like all kinds of pissed off. So basically, <laughs> yeah, like you know, but all kinds of pissed off. I mean, you don't like it because that guy stole your name, or no, because they can't. It's it's over. And it yeah. was great. Uh, You've seen the movie too, right? Yeah, I haven't watched the movie yet. I've heard I get closure from the movie, but yeah, I have um, great. You get some closure. <laughs> but uh, I, I do have uh, sort of uh, I, I have exchanged tweets with Adam Baldwin, so huh. uh, I guess that's my my that's link to glory or something. That man was born to play that role on Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> so great. There's really nothing else to say to that. No. Yeah. My sister knitted me a hat, a <gasps> hat for Christmas. No, oh, yeah, so jealous. Years ago, I wear it snowboarding, and I feel super cool. That's great. That is. Yep. So before we go, um, does Lyft support you in this, or do you just kind of do it in your own free time? Or sorry, Lyft so, Security. I feel like there's a isn't there another company named Lyft? There's a an app. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I I thought that you were the same thing for a while. I was really confused no, why this app company would also have like a hardcore penetration testing team. <laughs> yeah, so Man, that's, uh, Lyft that's is, one secure chat app. Lyft yeah, yeah. is for taxi, like the mustache taxis. There's also a Lyft with the Y. Yeah, that's the one. That's the, the mustache taxis in in uh, oh. San Francisco. Well, anyways. Yeah. Yes. We get uh, we get confused for you know since it's it's like carrot lift or it's it's either carrot lift uplift yeah uh, yeah there's all kinds of variants but uh, um, so lift is basically a, a department if you will uh, of and yet um, who makes like web apps so they make web apps we break web apps um, <laughs> and uh, I'm it, it's basically just we've got a very small team here so uh, I'm the lead of lift so of course lift supports us. Because that's basically what I do. So yeah, Lyft, you know, gives me some time to do that, and you know, and yet basically sponsors it. Lyft organizes it, and uh, you know, it's community, uh, community driven. So very nice. Well, that's cool. Well, we're looking forward to seeing seeing where this goes in the future, and all of your community contributions. Thank you so much for putting Thanks. in the time. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited about this. I think it'll be fun. And I also have the secret selfish desire to learn more about security. I know just enough about security to know that I'm bad at it. So <laughs> That's okay. So am I. But we can do better. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's do the picks then. AJ, do you want to start us off with the picks? Yes, I do. First off, when Adam mentioned that he was from Washington State... That reminded me of how I used to live close to Maine State and uh, this Canadian Border Patrol video. I don't know what it is. It's like Saturday Night Live skit or something, but it's hilarious. At least I think it is. It's always like anytime you're making fun of Canadians, it's a good time. It's basically what Americans live for. <laughs> yeah, right? it's hilarious, eh? <laughs> 
<laughs> that shouldn't have been so funny, but it was. Um, and second, I'm going to pick Frozen and the Frozen soundtrack. Frozen <laughs> was a good movie. I don't think it was as good as Tangled. Some people think that it is. Olaf the Snowman is an amazing character. His song pretty much makes the movie. He says something like, the winter time is good to find someone and cuddle, but in the summertime I will be, and then you expect him to say a puddle, but instead he says a happy snowman. And the songs are just cute and fun, and you can listen to them on Spotify, including songs that they produced uh, that are kind of like beta quality. What do we call that in non-computer terms? Rough draft? Uh, first cut? I don't know. But they're, they're songs Besides that never... Demos? What? Demos, yeah. B-sides or demos? B-sides. Yeah. So yeah, there's songs that demos, know the B-sides. music terminology. Thank you, James. Hey, I was in a crappy band in high school. That gives me authority forever on music. That's right. You probably did that before 2004, huh? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> Shout out to our last episode. <laughs> Isn't that our next episode? Oh, shoot. Next episode. <laughs> Time warp. Anyway, so they, they also have songs that weren't included in the movie that are kind of cool songs that also follow alternate plot lines. Apparently they did the music before they finished the, the storyline. And so there's some <laughs> songs that kind of give like this window into what the movie might've been. I'm still listening to it. So yeah, I'm going to pick those things picked. All right. Uh, Joe, what are your picks? All right. Uh, so my first pick is the uh, musical group Forte. It's a trio of tenors that was on America's got talent this year. They just put out an album that's available on Spotify, and they are just absolutely fantastic. I feel like I'm listening to the the three tenors. They're just totally amazing. I love listening to them while I work. So I'm going to pick them. I'm also going to pick the MLS Live's Live subscription service, which is something I've picked in the past. And it's a subscription service where you can watch every soccer game played during the MLS season, but you can watch a condensed 15-minute version of it. So all the really cool action for every game played every week. Of course, the season doesn't start till March. But right now, until the end of the year, they're offering a 20% off. So figured I'd mention that. My last pick is going to be a shameless plug. My latest Pluralsight course on Angular for .NET developers released today. And so I'm going to pick that. It was a fun course to produce, and it'll be fun to get the feedback from that as well. Awesome. Jameson, what are your picks? I just have one because it's kind of a giant one. I just found this blog called Affer.com. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's by Kyle Kingsbury, who's a distributed systems guy. And that's a big word that I've always wanted to learn more about. He has this series of blog posts called Jepson. I think that's the series. Like he gave the, the title or something. I don't really understand it. But anyways, it talks about distributed systems and it walks through a ton of different databases and shows you how they all react to network partitions or to just lots of all the weird things that can happen in, in distributed systems. And it's amazing. It's kind of mind-blowing to me as I learn more about this stuff. So that's my only pick, just a series of blog posts. Awesome. All right, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. So my first pick is um, something that I just picked up from the Freelancer Show about an hour ago. But it's pretty funny. It's clients from hell.net, and there's some pretty good ones in there. If you've followed uh, the last couple of weeks of my life, uh, you might understand. Anyway, funny stuff. I've also been listening to this uh, Shark Tank book. I don't know if you guys are uh, familiar with the Shark Tank TV show, but basically the idea is is that entrepreneurs go in and they pitch their business to these uh, investors who are kind of self-made millionaire, billionaire entrepreneurs. And uh, they all got together, the entrepreneurs that contribute to these businesses or invest in the businesses, they got together and and wrote a book together or had somebody write the book and then gave their uh, feedback or input to it. And uh, it's pretty good. It's just general how to build your business advice. And they've got some stuff in there for, you know, different business models and things like that. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm about halfway through it and I'm really enjoying it. And anyway, those are my picks. Adam, what are your picks? Let's see. You guys got all kinds of interesting stuff, so I'll have to come up with something here. 
one, of course, I've got to talk security first, right? Uh, a great uh, a book pick, I think, would be uh, The Tangled Web uh, by Michael Zalewski. Uh, covers a lot of the stuff like we talked about, uh, historical things and, and things uh, coming up that you should know about in, in terms of security. And uh, then I've got uh, a couple of shameless plugs for the team here. Um, one for uh, Talkie.io, uh, which basically you can go to Talkie.io slash whatever, uh, you both end up in a WebRTC, uh, you know, video audio call. Uh, no plugins, no hassle. Uh, it's kind of fun, super easy. And uh, the other uh, shameless plug would be for Human JavaScript. Uh, one of my uh, teammates, Henrik Jorteg, uh, wrote that, and uh, I think that it's a, uh, uh, you know, I'm no uh, front end JavaScript developer, and it's uh, it's uh, it's helped me understand how to build and how to maintain and, and sort of construct single page apps uh, on the client side in a in a sane way. So those are my picks. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I oh, I forgot one pick. I got one more plug. I got to plug it again. Mountain West JavaScript Conference. Yeah, it's please come. I want to meet cool. you, and Jameson does too. I was expecting Mountain West Burrito. No, I, I don't pick local restaurants because I don't think most of our listeners can go to Mountain West Burrito. But anyways, yeah, the deadline for paper submissions, I think, or presentation submissions is is the middle of January sometime. There's still plenty of time to submit. We want to hear from you, um, especially if you've never talked before. It'll be a, a great way to get your feet wet. And, uh, it'll be awesome. So come. I, I thought the call for proposals. Did you say call for proposals or ticket sales? Call for proposals. Did I say a lie? Is it closed? <laughs> I think it's through the end of the year. Oh, well, cool. That's There's still time. They close Saturday, January 4th. So there, there's the official word. So. so that's what you can do over the New Year's. Yep. Write a proposal. And if you want to hear about something and don't want to speak about it yourself, um, I am looking for some ideas because I'd like to speak at that one since it's local and stuff. So if it's something that I might know about, tweet me. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thanks for coming, Adam. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you all next week.